Can Be New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Good morning. Isn't it wonderful to have a pastor that practices what he preaches? You know, isn't that, isn't that great? It is, it is wonderful that he tells you that the Bible says that God took a day off and then he does. How about that? How about that? You know, I think that's why God modeled the day off. He knows how hard it is for us to obey him. So he actually went away. I don't know where God goes on a day off, but God went away and said to us, we need to have Sabbath. Uh, your pastor believes that his home qualifies him for ministry. So he serves his home. You have wonderful pastors here. Do you know that? Are you aware? Your pastor and pastoral team here is amazing. It's astonishing. And I want to thank you for lending them to us at various times. As I think some of you know, Pastor Ron is on our board of directors, or international board of directors. And so he comes to those meetings. His voice is also invited to other meetings that we have. And I know that's expensive for you. I know that when he's not with you, he's with us. And there'll be times you'll say, where's Pastor Ron? And they'll say he's in Los Angeles. And you'll wonder why anyone would ever go to Los Angeles. Uh, But he's there in meetings with us, adding his voice to the voice of other leaders to help us be the best version of ourselves we can be. And you need to know that when he comes, he represents you. So the life that you love and experience that you might take for granted, think in every place is like this. And it isn't, incidentally. Not every place is like this. He brings that voice and he brings that influence and allows us to see your reflection through his ministry. Thank you for sharing your pastor with us. We're a better church because of it. I bring you greetings from the global Foursquare Church. You have seven million brothers and sisters around the world call themselves members of Foursquare Churches, one tribe and a globe of tribes that are serving Jesus. I want you to know that there are some 80,000 credentialed ministers globally serving Jesus like pastors in our nation do. I want you to know that we're anticipating this year alone, just in our global ministries, that we'll see 2.5 million people come to Jesus. That's that's nice to know, that our tribe working with other tribes are actually seeing a harvest happening around the world. God is doing amazing things, incredible things. 131 nations, 133 nations. I I have to fluctuate because it changes sometimes because I can't tell you where some places. People say, are you in a certain country? And I have to say, I can't tell you because if I tell you, then I have to kill you. I can't tell you. You understand why, don't you? you? You know how our world is. We just can't talk a lot about some places we are. Let's say today we're in 133 nations, and we're serving Jesus. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for what God's doing. I bring you a report, though, globally. I wanted to bring you the latest report. Um, this really is like one of the latest ones, so I didn't like pick this one necessarily. It was one that just happened last week. How many of you have ever vacationed in Kiribati, or as I found out after the service this morning, it's Kiribati? Anybody vacation in Kiribati? Nobody. I'm not surprised. If you, to get there, you've got to fly halfway between Hawaii and Australia, and Kiribati is 33 uh, islands, uh, kind of a coral atoll, that sits on the equator and the international date line. So follow either one of those lines, and you'll run into this series of islands. And it's a small island, tropical island. It's in Oceania. That's where it's located. And we have a four-square church growing there. It's wonderful that on this little series of islands, the gospel is being proclaimed. We have wonderful pastors there, William and Christina Yakumba. They are Papua New Guineans who are partnering with the U.S. Foursquare Church. We have a partnership where we're serving this island. And the story comes from Pastor William. In fact, we have the recording of the story, and I've given it to James. James has it here so that if, if you would want, you could listen to it. It's a pastor talking about this testimony. He says he and his wife were in their house. They were cooking their meal, and they heard the, the cries and the yells of a child saying, Come quickly, my mother's died. 
Well, that obviously is shocking. So he, he, he looks out the window, sees who it is. They immediately follow the child to the home. And certainly there on the floor, this mother had died. She, he confirmed she was dead. The children were crying. The husband was beside himself, as you would imagine. The house was in disarray because of this tragedy that has happened. So he's a pastor. What, what do you do as a pastor? Well, what you learn in pastor school is the first thing you do is you pray. And so he said, Lord, what would we do? And he said he heard the Lord say, have the family gather in a circle around the woman and pray. So he gathers all of these crying people. They're all crying. And he gets them all together. And he says, now we need to hold hands and we need to pray. And Pastor William began to lead them in prayer. And as he prayed, God resurrected that woman from the dead. Yeah, now let's just let that settle on us Americans for just a moment. <laughs> this is her. To Timwa. That's the kind of smile you get when you just came back from being dead. It is a wonderful testimony of the power of God. And those kinds of testimonies happen throughout our global community. God is doing things all around the world. And I really don't have the time to tell you everything that God is doing. But when Pastor invited me to come and to preach, and he said that we're talking about empowered to life, empowered in our lives, I, I couldn't help, as you can imagine, kind of harvest from that theme all the things I experience globally. What I see happening, I have a commitment today. My commitment is that the king, Jesus, is equipping his church to accomplish great exploits for the kingdom of God. I am absolutely convinced that the time is short. I'm absolutely convinced that Jesus wants everyone to have an opportunity to say yes or no to him. And he is using the church in signs and wonders to accomplish that all around the world. God is doing incredible things. And it's my great desire that our U.S. church not just Foursquare, but the church would be involved in the great exploits of God. That we won't have to hear the testimonies from other nations, but the testimonies will be from our nation as God is moving among us. Wouldn't you want that in your families? Wouldn't you want that in your workplace, in your neighborhoods? Wouldn't it be wonderful to be giving testimony to God showing up and doing extraordinary things that your mind can't even get it, your, their arms around? Wouldn't that be amazing? Well, as I considered that and thought about that, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, uh, six verse 33, a verse that perhaps you know well. Um, it, it is one of the first verses you learn when you're a new believer. If you're in a discipleship program, Matthew 6, 33 is one of those standards you get. Uh, I like it in the King James Version because that's how I learned it. Not that I'm that old. It's just the book I had at the time. <laughs> Seek ye first. Doesn't that sound like Jesus? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It is a small verse, but with huge implications. It does not say, seek Jesus. It does not say, seek heaven. It doesn't say, seek salvation. It says, seek first the kingdom. The kingdom of God is the centerpiece of Jesus' ministry. It's the very center. It's hard to tell when we begin to seek now, what I mean is you can be a non-believer and God can begin to work on your heart. Some of you have had that experience. You came to Christ, but you came to Christ after a process that you felt happening. You actually experienced something taking place. Others, like myself, kind of got surprised by the Lord. I got saved after watching the movie The Exorcist. There was no preparation for this. I went to see the girl's head spin and met the Lord. So we have our experiences. We, we have the way we meet the Lord. So we don't know exactly when it begins, but we certainly know that this seeking begins, we certainly know this, when you respond to the gospel. When you've said yes to the gospel, when Jesus becomes your Lord and Savior, everything changes for you. Do you find that to be true? And you actually think that you found him when in fact you discover he was chasing you. Isn't that wonderful? 
The pursuing love of God who loves you even when you're a jerk. That's good. Boneheads are accepted. I want you to know, if you're a believer, no matter how bad your days are as a believer, they aren't nearly as bad as the days before you got saved and he loved you then, he loves you now. Isn't that wonderful to know? But when our hearts are turned to him, we begin to seek this kingdom. And then as we believe in him and grow in him, the kingdom becomes very important to us. Because we, we recognize some things. We, we get filled with the Holy Spirit and we understand that God is empowering us for something. That the power is not given to us as a sign or symbol of anything except that you shall be my witnesses. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, Acts 1.8. For what purpose? To be my witnesses. That people all around the world, your world and the world, can hear about the gospel. That is the intent of God. So what we discover in this awareness of the king is that he has a kingdom. That we now have a king and a kingdom. The king is Jesus and his kingdom is defined by his rule and reign. It's, it's not defined by territory like we think of earthly kingdoms. As the Roman Empire, that kingdom expanded, countries fell, geopolitical nations were absorbed. That's not how God's kingdom works. God's kingdom works with human lives. And in Fresno in 1973, when Jim Scott got saved, Fresno, California, the kingdom got one person bigger. Because now I'm in the kingdom and I have a king. That's, that's what we see. You've seen this in the Bible. You know that the church lives both in an earthly kingdom and this kingdom of Jesus. You live in that tension. You're aware of it. You see it in the Bible. You're familiar with Philippians 3.20, perhaps, that your citizenship is in heaven. You thought you were U.S. citizens or some other nation. No, you have a citizenship now in heaven. Weren't you surprised when you read in the Bible that you're a stranger now here? That you're in a foreign land? You know, that's what the Bible says about you. You ain't from around here anymore. When did that happen? It happened when I was adopted by this king and this kingdom. So while I live in the United States, yes, I work in the United States, yes. I'm, I'm in the conventions of this nation. I'm also part of another nation where my citizenship is, and it's the kingdom of God. And they even have different laws, different rules. You know, for example, in this kingdom, the earthly kingdom, if you want to be first, you kick people out of the way. In the kingdom I'm from, if you want to be first, you must be last. Whole different set of rules. In, in this kingdom, if you want to get, you take. In the kingdom that I'm a part of, this place where my citizenship is, if I want to receive, I must. Do you feel the clash? Every single day. I don't live in one place anymore, I live in two. The intersection of those two worlds is the expression of the kingdom of God on earth. In the Lord's Prayer, we pray, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is a kingdom prayer that the kingdom of God would come. So as I was thinking about being empowered for life, thinking about that intersection, thinking about the power of God globally, and thinking about a woman raised from the dead just last week, I thought, what would be the message I would bring to new life in this season of your life? And I thought to myself, well, what I, what I could bring is this. There is this intersection, and there are certain evidences of it. Maybe it would be good for you to know the evidences of the kingdom being present. What to look for. Because if you see it, then you can say that's the kingdom. And secondly, this is more important, your faith would be built to express those evidences. That not only would there be evidence, but that evidence would come through you. In Canby, in Portland, in Oregon, in the Northwest, in the West Coast, in the United States, in our global community. Wherever you go, the kingdom would go and be expressed. 
Well, in thinking that way and recognizing the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are synonymous terms in the Bible. When we read it there, we see kingdom of God, sometimes kingdom of heaven. Those are the same terms, used a little different. And recognizing that God is doing something that's intersecting us, I want to show you five evidences of the presence of the kingdom. Five ways God could work through you to do the work of the kingdom. In order to see that, let's look at the first one. In relationship to sickness and healing, the kingdom overcomes sickness and brings healing. I want to declare to you today that you can be healed in the name of Jesus. I want to say that to you. I want to say it in the face of all of the evidence and all of the trouble we hear and see. All of the things we encounter. I want you to know that healing is available because of the work of Jesus. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he ever healed, he heals now. If he heals now, he'll heal till we go to heaven. That is really, really good news. That's good news. It's good news for us to hear. I want you to know that in Luke chapter 10, verses 8 and 9, Jesus sent out his 70 disciples. And as he sent them out, he said this to them. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it. Heal the sick. He said that to his disciples. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of heaven has come near to you. Now that's interesting. Once they're healed, you'd think they'd want to dance and sing. Maybe you'd want to take credit for your faith and your prayer. Maybe you'd want to go get something to eat. But no, he says when they're well, when they're healed, say this to them. The kingdom of heaven has touched you. Why, why would he do that? Well, I don't know if you've ever been to Disneyland. Anybody ever been to Anaheim, Disneyland? If, if you get on the five freeway out here and start driving two days from now, you'll be in Anaheim. And as you get into Anaheim, from north or south, as you drive into that area where Disneyland is, there's a huge sign that says Disneyland on it. And that's all it says. It just says Disneyland. It doesn't say Disneyland here. It doesn't say Disneyland in Arrow. It says Disneyland. Because we all know that's Disneyland. In all the years I lived in Southern California, my home today is in New Hampshire, but all the times I lived in Southern California, never did I ever see a family van stop under that sign, everybody get out and say, we're here. Everyone knew the sign pointed somewhere. That the big deal isn't the sign, the big deal is where the sign is pointing. These are called signs and wonders because as important as healing is to you, it's not the big deal. Because the place you're going to, there is no sickness. The sign is pointing to the kingdom. And what we want people to understand is when God does do a great miracle, we don't want them to stop at the sign, get out of the van, and be happy they're under the sign. We want them to keep going to the Disneyland, which is the kingdom of God. We want them to embrace the king and the kingdom. For what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? So isn't it interesting? Jesus sends them out. Luke chapter 10. Go out, heal the sick. Yeah, praise God. But when you do, tell them that the kingdom of heaven has come near to you. Notice the connection. Heal and say the kingdom has come near. Talk about that sign. And this was the basic style of Jesus' ministry. This is how he lived his life. This is how he served. Matthew 4.23, it says about Jesus, he went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Notice he preached the gospel of the kingdom, not the gospel. He preached the gospel of the kingdom. It's the gospel of the kingdom, not just the gospel. You need to see this. The kingdom of God is everything. Seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness. He preached the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every infirmity among the people. That is the ministry of Jesus. An intersection of the kingdom of God in this city is when people are healed. 
You can look up when that happens. When someone is healed, you can look around the room and say, guess what? The king's here. The kingdom's here. Heaven just touched us. That other place I live where my citizenship, it's in the house. It's here because someone was just healed. The second thing I want you to see is in relationship to death and resurrection, the kingdom overcomes death and brings resurrection. I love telling Americans that. Because I meet Christians all the time. I ask a Christian today, when was the last time you prayed for someone who was really dead to be raised? Even not even fresh dead. I'm not, please, I'm not mocking here. We don't ask. I wonder what that indicates. Interesting. When Jesus sent out the 12 apostles, it says in Matthew 10, 7, and 8 this. Preach as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's the sign. Kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. That had to shock these guys. These ladies, they had to be amazed. The kingdom of heaven, they were to go out and produce and perform these certain signs, including the raising of the dead. I want you to know that every funeral I have ever done as a pastor, I have prayed that the person would be raised from the dead. Now, I haven't done it in the service. Would you all join hands with me? But I have walked to that casket, put my hand on it or on that body and said, Jesus, if it be your will, raise this person up and I'm ready to preach. I said this in a Bible college class, and there was a kid in the back. I said that, and he said, let the guy who sits up preach. <laughs> Thought to myself, yeah, that probably would be a better sermon than the one I would <laughs> deliver. So where you been? Here's the, here's the deal. We may not ask because we really don't believe. I mean, we really may not. But the Bible has an expectation that when the kingdom of God intersects life, People can be raised from the dead. The reason I shared with you a resurrection today was to shock you with the reality that that still happens. Incidentally, one happened in Bogota, Colombia three months ago. And in that one where that man was raised from the dead, when he showed up Sunday to testify, his medical doctor came with him. They stood in front of the church together. He testified he was raised from the dead, and the medical doctor said, I pronounced him dead. I don't know what happened. Now, I don't know what that did to his medical practice. That might raise some questions. But, 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 but this is what God is doing. Now, now saying it that way, we, we have to realize that, that resurrections don't happen every day. In fact, to our knowledge, Jesus only raised three people from the dead during his earthly ministry. I, I don't know if you've counted them, but in Matthew 9, Luke 7, and John 11, Jesus raises someone from the dead. Matthew 9, Luke 7, John 11. In the book of Acts, only two people are raised from the dead. We only have two instances of it, in Acts 9 and Acts 20. And Acts 20 is a particularly funny one because in Acts, death can be funny. Acts 20, the Bible says that Paul was going on and on and on in his preaching. It literally says that, that Paul was preaching and he went on and on and on. So if you are a long-winded preacher, you're in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. You are centered on his ministry. He's preaching, preaching, preaching. The tragedy was, Eutychus is sitting in a window, bored to death, falls asleep, falls out of the window, hits the ground, and dies. Now, this is in, John, in Acts chapter 20. That's not good for church growth. People dying outside the building. That just, you know, doesn't really work. Paul leaves the service, goes down, lays himself on the dead body, and raises it from the dead. God is infinitely, infinitely creative in how he does what he does. But we only have five instances of resurrection in the New Testament. So the question for me was, lots of healings and not many resurrections. Then I thought to myself, how many resurrections do you have to have to prove the point? 
one. So if you got five, that seems like more than you need to prove the point. But, but what it does indicate with both healing and resurrection, that sickness and death were not abolished with the coming of Jesus. That day is coming. When Jesus returns and we're done, death and sickness are gone. Death and sickness are gone. My mother-in-law's in a wheelchair, survivor of a horrific stroke. We pray every day for her to be physically healed. I would love for her to get out of that wheelchair. But you know what I've told my mother-in-law, Charlotte? You don't get out of that wheelchair here when you die. That wheelchair will still be in this bedroom. Where you're going, there is no Americans with Disability Act. We don't need elevators in any of the houses in heaven. You can walk up every single stair because you will not need this wheelchair where you're going. So the, the reality is, while death and sickness have not been abolished yet, that comes in the end, the fact that heaven intersects us means that sometimes sickness and death are dealt with in our life. And that is an evidence of the kingdom of God that the American church needs to be stirred up in, that the American church needs to embrace, not just in Bogota, Colombia, and not just in Kiribati, but that we would have faith to believe God to do something supernatural in those areas. The third thing I want you to see is in relationship to demonic oppression and deliverance. The kingdom overcomes demonic oppression and brings deliverance. Luke chapter 11 is an amazing story where Jesus is being accused of being demon-possessed. They're asking him if by the power of Beelzebub does he cast out these demons. And Jesus does this wonderful teaching about a kingdom divided against itself. It won't stand. And he, he's establishing that, no, he's not doing it that way. There's another power. And then he says these words, wonderful words. If it's by the finger of God I cast out demons, listen, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Again, we see the connection. If you see demons cast out, then the kingdom of God is here. Jesus says that. And notice the phrasing. If it's by the finger of God. He doesn't say arm, doesn't say will, doesn't say power, doesn't say strength. Ping! Ping! Now, that's not biblical, of course, this. I don't know. But it is by the finger of God. And here's what the point is. And I'm not at all in any way challenging the devil. I'm only speaking what's true. It's the Wizard of Oz. All big, bad, and smoke and fire until you pull the curtain away and then, oh, look at this dumpy old guy. What we have here is a battle between almighty God and a fallen angel. That's what this battle is. And it only takes the finger of God to cast out demons. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. My years in law enforcement, I spent 10 years in law enforcement, LA County Sheriff's Department. Let me tell you what I know. In the United States of America, we don't cast out demons. We medicate them, counsel them, and put them in prison. Would be to God the church would rise up and we would cast out demons. Some of the crimes being committed today are not being committed by people that came from bad homes. There is a spiritual energy behind them that needs to be dealt with and only the church has that power. We need to rise up. So the question for us is, what's our reputation in hell? Now, when you say, I say that, you think, that's offensive. No, no, really, it's in Acts 19. The question was raised in Acts 19. If you remember the seven sons of Shiva were demon possessors, getting people out of demons kind of thing. That was their job. How would you take a job as an exorcist? But these, these seven sons of Shiva did that. They went out and cast out demons. But apparently they weren't good at it because they never met a real demon until the day of Acts 19. And what, what happens is they confront this demon-possessed person and they say this to him, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches. That, that's what it says in Acts 19. In the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, come out. Because you see, they're business people. And they steal other guys' good ideas. Any businessmen want to tell the truth here? Businesswomen want to tell the truth. Looking for the good idea, it's now my idea. 
And you're honest. The first time you use it, you say you learned it. Then the second time you heard it. Third time it's been said, now it's yours. Fourth time, it's yours. They are no different. They look around. Who's successful casting out demons? Oh, this guy named Paul. What's he say? In the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, come out. The demon speaks. This is a bad day for these guys. Please hear what the demon said. Jesus I know, and Paul I've heard of. But who are you? And then it says that this demon jumped on the seven sons and beat them and bloodied them, stripped them naked and sent them away wounded. It's a horrible story. But listen to what the demon said. Jesus I know, he certainly knows him because he's seen him face to face. And Paul I've heard of. Hmm. PowerPoints in hell. File cabinets filled with the exploits of Paul. And every time a new demon's being sent out on their assignment, someone's got to orient them to this guy named Paul because if you meet him, he will beat you to nothing. You need to know about this guy named Paul. What do you mean Paul's moving? Going from where to where? Why is he going to that city? We had a stronghold there. We have people that are selling and, and buying and we've got witchcraft going on. Why would he go there? Let me ask you, is anybody in hell tracking you? Anybody worried about you in hell? Do they do any PowerPoint presentations about you or me? Were they worried when you moved to the Northwest? Did they say about you, my goodness, they, did, they were so, in Oklahoma City, they were, they, they, man, they, they, they were powerful, and now they're where? Or do they not care? Jesus says, I cast out demons. Ping! Ping! And that is an evidence of the kingdom. Would be to God that every demon in this city would be put on notice. Not on my watch, not in my city. We cast them out. We cast them out. We find this very, very strongly taught. It says of Jesus in Mark chapter 1, verse 34, that his ministry involved casting out, quote unquote, many demons. And Matthew 10, 1 says Jesus called him to the 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out. Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. You never have to be intimidated by the devil. Pull the curtain away and see what he really is, a fallen angel. Jesus is the Lord. And that is the truth. Amen. The fourth thing I want you to see, in relationship to rebellion and conversion, the kingdom overcomes rebellion and brings conversion. We we sang this today, in your kingdom lives, lives are made new. In your kingdom, lives are made new. Conversion happens by the power of God. I said to you, 2.5 million people in this year have received the Lord. That's incredible. That's just with four square. That's not with the Presbyterians and the Southern Baptists and everyone else that are serving Jesus. There is a global harvest going on right now. Millions of people are meeting Jesus. You need to be encouraged by that. Even as you and I, we both live in what they call the least religious places on earth. That's what they say about us, northeast, northwest. I live north of Boston, the center of non-belief. We, we live in places where religion is, is, is devalued and people aren't getting saved every day. 2.5 million people got saved just through Foursquare last year. God is moving. God, the kingdom, and God bring conversion. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, Jesus says, unless you truly be converted, unless you turn, metanoia is the Greek word, your heart turn, 
Turn around. Unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't say heaven. It says kingdom of heaven. You will never enter it unless your heart turns. Let me ask you, when you got saved, what turned your heart? Was it just you woke up with a hangover and you were sick of hangovers? Well, you've been sick before and made a decision and it didn't stick. Why did this stick? Or, or maybe you just thought your life needed a change. Or maybe God had blessed you in some way and you wanted to respond to him. No, your heart turned because God turned your heart. No man comes to the Father unless the Father draw him. That God was working in you. Our salvation isn't based on good sermons or bad sermons. I was telling someone today. You know, I, I preach a million sermons. And there'll be people that come to me and tell me, oh, that was the best sermon I've ever heard. It changed my life. And I'm thinking while I'm preaching it, I will never do this again. I will, I mean, you, all the words dropping right off the front. And yet, you know, thousands get saved. Other times I think I nail it. Man, you can't do it any better than I just did it. And nobody heard Jesus. Now, in the second illustration, we understand why, right? We, we got that part. You know what's changing your heart right now? The kingdom of God. The presence of the kingdom is in this house. And if your heart is turning, it's the king doing it. And he needs to be praised for it. Not the preacher, not the church, not the day, not the circumstance, not the hangover. God is doing something in you. What power brings this conversion from rebellious, proud independence to submissive, humble, childlike dependence? It's only the kingdom of God. And we this is taught in the parable of the net in Matthew chapter 13, verses 47 to 50. In that parable of the net, you'll remember that the kingdom of heaven is like a net that's thrown into the sea, and it catches fish. Well, if you fished, you know that nets catch fish because they catch fish. Not because fish jump in the nets. Fish don't jump in the nets. Did you know that? They're caught by nets. The kingdom of heaven is like a net. It catches people. People don't jump into it. So you think you decided for Jesus. No. You did make a decision, but before that decision was made, the kingdom of God was working in your heart so you could articulate the words, so you could cry the tears, so you could be sincere in the decision, so it was more than a choice of your head. Your heart turned to God. And the result is a disciple who will die for him now because it's not their head that's convinced. They are all in in their lives. That's the work of the kingdom and he needs to be celebrated. It's, it's implied in the parable of the wheat and the tares in Matthew 13. But the most poignant story that talks about this is the rich young ruler. You remember that story where Jesus has a conversation with him and he turns and walks away from Jesus. Do you remember that? And Jesus says as he walks away, it will be hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, the disciples hear this and they're amazed. And they respond appropriately. Well, if, if that's true, who can be saved? That is the question. Who can be saved? No one can be saved left to us. We have no power to save ourselves. But Jesus responds, responds and says, with men this is impossible. That is to say to enter the kingdom and be saved. That's true. With men it's impossible. Men can't do it. But with God, all things are possible. And I look around this room and I see the impossibility has happened. Look at you. What were some of you? And you're sitting here today. God be glorified that people like you can get saved. I mean, don't you marvel? I mean, please hear me. Some of you have been Christians way too long. I've been saved since 1973. I have a nicely ordered Christian life. It's been a long time since I ate vomit and played in mud, which is how Peter talks about the unsaved life. And occasionally we need to taste the vomit in our mouth and remember what God saved us from. Part of our fire comes from remembering we don't deserve to be here. In fact, may I beg you, never pray in your moment of frustration, God, give me what I deserve. 
You know, you didn't get that promotion and all you want is what you deserve. No, here's the prayer. God, give me everything I don't deserve. I want everything I don't deserve because I don't deserve any promotions. I don't deserve the family I have. There's nothing in my life I deserve, Lord. Thank you for giving me everything. I want you to know that when it comes to rebellion, it comes to this notion of lostness, when it comes to conversion, the kingdom overcomes it all and we can be saved. To be converted is not just the work of man, it's the work of God. And the last thing I want you to see is in relationship to condemnation and forgiveness, the kingdom overcomes condemnation and brings forgiveness. I want to declare that you can be forgiven. And the kingdom does that. That this king I'm talking about has given his own life that you will be set free. A king could charge another with the responsibility, but our king did not. Our king has determined that he would be the one who would secure your salvation. And he did it through his own life, his own death, and the shedding of his blood. The very obstacle to salvation is that we're guilty of sin. Guilty. Now, I know we justify our sin. You know, we, we find ways of making it less stinging. But here's the reality. When you stand before the throne and you're stripped bare, there's no attorney standing next to you arguing for you. And the judge that's judging you not only knows what you did, but actually knew what you were thinking when you did it. And when that evidence comes out, you'll have no place to go. That's the truth, isn't it? That is what answers to everyone unless the trial takes place before they die. And so on that glorious day in 1973 when I knew I was guilty and I knew I had no hope and I cried out to Jesus and asked him to forgive me, a trial took place in Fresno, California. And I stood before the bema of God and I said, I'm guilty. And the judge said, you are, you deserve hell. You cannot be with me, so I have to put you in a place where I am not. And I begged for mercy. And Jesus stood forward and he said, Father, I will take his sin. Give him my righteousness. And in that amazing transaction, I was forgiven. And Jesus took my guilt. The kingdom of God saved me. Not preaching, not the word, not guilt. I was saved by the king of the kingdom. And I am safe because the king holds me. The kingdom is a powerful, powerful, powerful force for bringing forgiveness. In Matthew chapter 21, 31, it reminds us that even though Jesus is the king, the prostitutes and the tax gatherers ran to him. The Bible reminds us of Matthew chapter 20 that Jesus is the unfair wage giver in that he'll hire some people for a full day at 25 cents and hire people for one hour at 25 cents. And then when the workers talk, they get upset and they come back and say, that wasn't fair. And he says to them, what was unfair? I said 25 cents to you and you said that was fine. I said 25 cents to you, you said that was fine. I did you no wrong. Did God saving people that don't deserve it? In this unfair world, God is reaching down and saving people. In Matthew chapter 22, we have the story of a man who's giving a wedding, and he's giving a wedding feast, and he invites guests to come, and the guests don't come. So he comes out on the street, and he says, anybody can come. Anyone can come. And I got to come. I don't get to go to the wedding of the king. I don't deserve that. But he opened the door for me and called me in. That's the picture of this kingdom and this king. Why is it? that the poor in spirit, those who have nothing to commend themselves, are given the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because we have a glorious king. We have a glorious king. 
But maybe the best answer is given in terms of forgiveness in Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 to, 20, to 35. It's an amazing story. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who called his debtors to account, and when one of them pleads for mercy concerning a million-dollar debt, the king has pity and forgives him everything he owes. That is your king who calls you to account for your sin. He must face your sin. He is both the just and the justifier, according to Romans chapter 3. He must not let you off the hook for your sin. So he calls you to account, and what you do is you cry out in mercy and say, I don't have the million dollars. And here's our king. This is our king. Our king says, forgiven. I want you to revel in this relationship with your king in terms of forgiveness. You are forgiven. If you know Jesus, you're forgiven. And the king has secured it. No one can take that from the king. Isn't that amazing? And so as we think about this, as we consider this, as we consider these evidences of the kingdom and our calling to serve this king in this kingdom, if we're workers for the kingdom of God, and Colossians 4.11 says we are, it calls you and me workers for the kingdom of God. And if we preach the gospel of the kingdom, which Matthew 24.14 says we're supposed to be doing, please hear me, shouldn't we expect the evidence of the kingdom? Shouldn't demons be leave screaming? Shouldn't, shouldn't people be healed? Shouldn't dead be raised? Shouldn't people be converted? Shouldn't forgiveness be given? That's the evidence you will see here. Every time someone gets saved here, somebody shout out from now on, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king is here. Someone gets healed. Testify to the glory of God. And just don't say, praise God, he was healed. Say, no, no, the king touched him. The kingdom of God is here. Let people start to expect and look around. When will the king touch me? How is this kingdom intersecting my life today? Will he intersect me at work, at my school? Where will I experience him? What will he do for me? As you're empowered for life, as you're serving for life, serve the king and his kingdom. Father, we come to you today in the powerful name of Jesus. And Lord, I lift to you this congregation, this congregation of my friends, and I ask today, Lord, as they are journeying in this journey to be empowered for life, as they're considering what this means, and it can be considered from so many different angles. Lord, today we ask, we ask today, Lord, we beg you today, Lord, that as the king ministering the rule and reign of the kingdom, that, Lord, in this place, the evidences of the kingdom will always be seen. We ask today, Lord, for healings, physical healings. We pray for resurrections from the dead. We pray that demons will be cast out. We pray that people will convert. We pray, Lord, people will experience unbelievable forgiveness. And with each of those, Lord, we ask today, Lord, that people will acknowledge and revel in the presence of the King who has come to serve, not to be served. A King who has come to give and not to be given to. Lord, I pray today for this church that, Lord, the ministry in this community and the larger community would be such that the testimony of this place will be the kingdom of God truly has come, that his will is done on earth as it is in heaven, and that is here. And, Lord, when that happens, we'll give you glory because we confess even in preaching this, we don't have the power to do this. Do it, Lord, and be glorified, and we will give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff 
along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.